Some of you guys, you may know that um, my undergraduate degree is from the University of Missouri, go Tigers, uh, in journalism. And I spent a number of years both as a student and a little bit later um, as a news uh, reporter and editor. And uh, it's a glamorous job. It's a glamorous job. As a matter of fact, it's so glamorous, I thought this morning I might share some highlights with you, some high-quality headlines from my career covering the news. All right, here's one. It's a, it's a showstopper. Holiday crowds descend on airport. I wrote that story. It makes it sound like there's zombies attacking the airport. Um, this is another good one. This is a real showstopper. Zoning hearing was put off. Like I said, glamorous. I think maybe one of my favorites, I hadn't remembered this, I, I found these because I was going through some of my clipbooks um, recently to kind of put them in a new place. And, and uh, this is a good one I think you'll be interested in. There was an uncommonly bright moon on Wednesday night. <laughs> I, I, I actually didn't remember getting that assignment and being like, you want me to write a story on what? The bright moon, although I will tell you, this is just fantastic. This, this story, I mean, this could only have happened in the year 2000. I wrote this story with this headline, District Starts to Use Internet. <laughs> School districts were moving into a new age. Um, but by far, one of the stories I wrote that got the most um, feedback was this story about a man who was offering $10,000 to the person who would introduce him to his wife. Uh, he had ran a website called uh, www.10kforawife.com. Yeah, <laughs> lots of feedback. And I remember, I remember submitting this story thinking, you know, if this story gets him a wife, do I get the 10K? <laughs> Here's what they all have in common. Here's what they all have in common. To, to, do a, to do that job, that very glamorous job, you have to talk to people who know what they're talking about. You have to talk to people who know the issues at hand. You've got to go to the school board meetings. You've got to talk to the mayor and the airport director and the guy who wants a wife for $10,000, right? Um, you need people who don't just know what's happening, but know the significance of what's happening. And these are some of the issues we're going to explore this morning in our text. So we're studying 2 Peter right now. We're going to finish up chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter. It's near the very back of your Bible. So go to the back and page a little bit left and you'll find uh, Second Peter. And we're going to see Peter asking and answering some of these questions that are raised uh, when you're a news reporter, which is, who are the experts to consult about the truth? How do you know if someone's trustworthy? What are someone's credentials for speaking to the topic at hand? Why do we believe a witness and the account that they have to offer? What should we do in the response to the story that's been given? These are, what, these are the questions Peter's going to be exploring in our text this morning. And wouldn't it be great if maybe we're in this room this morning because God wants to use his word to speak to us. So let's read it together. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God, I do ask you that this morning you might use your word to shine a light into the darkness, that we might have greater confidence in you and hope of your return. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give us right up front the main idea today. Here's, here's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be saying that we can have confidence in the reality, worth, and return of Jesus Christ, and so we have to pay attention to him. So when you go home today and someone says, what did we talk about at church? What did they talk about at church? You can say, we can have confidence in the reality and worth and return of Jesus Christ. So we should pay attention to him. And so we're just going to explore it that way. We're going to take those three sections and we're going to divide them up. And we're going to look at the first, um, the first section about confidence then about reality and worth and return. And then uh, hopefully spend most of our time there on paying attention. So let's dig into it. What does it mean to have confidence in something? What does it mean to be sure of something? What does it mean that you can put your trust in something? When you work for a newspaper, you need to know that you can have confidence in your sources, that things have actually happened. And this is exactly what Peter is concerned with. Look back down at verse 16. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we told you about Jesus, that we there as the apostles, the people who saw what he did, who provided the eyewitness testimony and the instruction of the New Testament. He said, these weren't made up stories. We're telling you what we saw and what we heard. When I was a little girl, uh, my dad told us this story. We, were, um, we lived very near the confluence of the Missouri and Mississippi River. And on the Illinois side, right near there, is a town named Alton. And there's cliffs outside of Alton. And on those cliffs is a very old Native American drawing of something called the Piasaw bird. Piasaw means man devourer, by the way. Uh, you can go and see it still, but it's like covered up with a modern representation of it. But my dad told us that every year on New Year's Eve, the Piasaw bird came to life and looked for children to eat. <laughs> and then exactly at midnight, the bird would come off the cliff and he'd make this noise of the wings flapping. And he would look for kids to devour. And by the way, he really liked twins. I'm a twin. And uh, so for, for a hot second in my youth, when I was a young person, I believed it. New Year's Eve was terrifying, right? I remember like a few New Year's Eves, maybe only one or two, hiding under the bed, right? Because this is the night the Piasa bird comes to life, right? And it's always been a joke in our family now that, you know, that the Piasa bird comes and eats people. Um, but it's a myth. It's a made-up story. It's a silly, made-up story. What Peter's saying is this is not that. The, the message of Jesus, the stories of what he's done, the miracles that he's proclaimed, the way that he taught, what he did on the cross and how he rose again, it's not made up. It's not some cleverly devised idea. It's not like the apostles got together and they said, hey, here's the story we're going to tell. He says, no, we were eyewitnesses. Look at verse 16. He says, we were eyewitnesses. Verse 18, he says, we heard the very voice of God. Verse 18, we were with him. He's, he's saying, we didn't make this stuff up. You can hear Peter saying, like, this is, look, you guys, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. 
This is real, you can trust me on this, you can have confidence in what we're saying because we saw it with our own eyes. This is exactly how our whole world works. We accept the evidence and the testimony of others. So Peter says, we saw these things. But look what else he says. Did you see the beginning of verse 19? He says, we, have, we also have this prophetic word more fully confirmed. What's he referring to there? Well, he's probably referring to the Old Testament. He's probably saying, look, there were these, this, this um, expectation presented to us in the passages of the Old Testament, in the prophecies of the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come, and it's confirmed because we saw him. Here, here he is, like we, we saw what was promised to be. As a matter of fact, a conservative estimate, it's, there's a probably around 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Everything from the Savior will be born in Bethlehem till he will be killed outside the city walls. Jesus met and fulfilled all these prophecies. So what can we have confidence in? We can also have confidence in that God has been writing a story from the very beginning and that story is confirmed in the life of Jesus. So we have all this evidence mounting up. We have this eyewitness testimony. We have these people who saw and knew and, and lived with Jesus and they heard his teaching and they saw his death and resurrection. And then we have it confirmed with the writings of the Old Testament that God has passed down for generations and generations that we might know him. And finally, and maybe most of all, he says here at the end of this passage that none of this comes from human beings, but it comes from God. It's carried along by the Holy Spirit so that what we have here, we can have confidence in because it's based on eyewitness testimony, because it's part of what God's plan was from the beginning to confirm to us that a Messiah was coming and we would know him when he was here. Why can you and I have confidence? Because the evidence is there. It's, it mounts up. What's told to us about Jesus and what we find here in the scripture is, is worthy of our trust. This isn't a human work. It's not the Piasaw bird coming off the cliff. And so what specifically are we to have confidence in? Well, specifically, we need to have confidence in who Jesus was and what he did, his reality, his worth, and his return. Peter has already told us, look, I saw these things with my own eyes. Me and the other apostles, like, we know what's happening. You can know Jesus was a, a real person and he really did these things. And by the way, he uses one specific story here. You probably already caught on to it. I know many of you did. One specific story to say, here's what's important to know. And he uses a story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Transfiguration, right? You guys know this story. Jesus comes to Peter, James, and John and he says, look, I want you guys to come up on this mountain with me. And they go up on the mountain and is there in the mountain, suddenly it said that um, Jesus is transfigured before them. He is transformed. He, he is revealed in a new way. And as they look at him, it says that his garments were whiter than any bleach could make them, which is a funny little detail, right? And his garments are just shining, and he's, he's shining forth in all this glory and all of this splendor, and he's there, and he's talking to Moses and Elijah, these heroes of the Old Testament. And then, as if that weren't enough, the very voice of God comes down. And it says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And this is the story that Peter is referencing here. Because he wants us to have confidence in these two last things. First, in the worthiness of Jesus. Do you see specifically, he says, um, here in verse 17, he says that, uh, that uh, Jesus had received glory and honor from God himself. 
That, that in that moment when they see him for who he is, they see him revealed as the king of the universe, that upon him the very voice of God has come and said, I am well pleased with my son. I love him. Can you imagine the, the Lord of the universe speaking that, those words over someone? Like this, is, this man has done everything I've asked him to do. He's not put a, a foot out of step. He is exactly who I've asked him to be. I am well pleased with Jesus the honor and the glory that comes from that. And can't you just imagine Peter, James, and John standing there, and we actually know like they're terrified, and they don't know what to say. So of course, Peter, Peter being like many of us, starts speaking. <laughs> right? He's like, oh, well, let's build some tents, right? They don't know what to do because they're confronted with Jesus and his majesty. And Peter wants you and I to know that this is the same Jesus we're talking about, that he's worthy of our praise, that he's worthy of the honor that we might give him, that he is the one who, who will reign as king over the universe, and so we treat him as our king now. Because specifically, Peter is trying to make an argument here that, that this is not just about this one moment of Jesus' glory, but now, because we know Jesus is coming again and he, that he's ascended to be with the Father, that same glory will be revealed at his second coming. We'll learn more as we read more of Second Peter. We'll learn this is part of what Peter is concerned with in this letter. He's concerned that there are some false teachers out there and that those false teachers are saying, yeah, Jesus isn't coming back. Uh, this was about a spiritual, um, new spirituality. It's not really that he's going to return. Like, that's not a thing. And Peter wants to confront this false teaching, and he wants to confront it with some, a very strong claim that not just that Jesus is real and not just that he's worthy and he's the king of the universe, but that he is coming again. And he thinks this is a critical teaching for you and I to have confidence in. We might miss it in our, in our English translation, but if you look then at verse 16, how he starts, he said, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or it could be the powerful coming, and that coming is a very specific Greek word, parousia, which means, like, always used to refer to the second coming, the arrival, the revealing, the appearance of Jesus. And so very specifically, Peter is saying here, this Jesus is coming again. And why is it critical for you and I to believe that? Why is that something we have to have confidence in? Well, it's something we have to have confidence in because at his coming, Jesus is going to bring justice. It will be the end of human sinfulness. He's going to um, set right the things of the human heart, but also as Jesus comes, he's going to bring a new creation. And the whole created order will be restored. So you have those famous words in Revelation that says, the first earth and the first heavens will pass away, and behold, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and creation will be restored over which God is making all things right, and Jesus will reign as king. So why else is it important for us to have confidence in the return of Jesus? Because he will come as king of the universe. His glory and his majesty, it's as if the transfiguration were just a window into that glory and majesty. It was as if it was just this foretaste, just this brief moment of like, this is the king we are waiting for. So Philippians famously says that one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why do we need confidence in his return? Because that is the reality that we live in. 
You can trust these things. You can trust them. The eyewitnesses are not lying to us. The, the confirmation of scripture is there. The Holy Spirit himself is making it known to us so that we might know Jesus Christ. And so Peter has one specific exhortation in the middle of all of this, one specific thing that we are to do. It's simply to pay attention. Did you see what he says in the middle of verse 19? Hidden right in the middle of this section is what Peter wants you and I to do. At the end of verse, uh, verse 19, middle of your verse 19, he says this, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You will do well to pay attention. What does that mean? What does it mean to pay attention to something? It means that something has your focus. It means that something has your, your, um, your eyes and your ears. It's something has your, uh, your, your whole self is turned to that thing. It's something that's important for you to know. Peter compares the act of paying attention as though we were looking at a light in the darkness. And so we were in a very dark place and there's one single light and that single light is the truth that the eyewitnesses have proclaimed and explained in the New Testament, that the Old Testament promises pointed to all along and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to ourselves that this scripture that this truth, this different word that belongs to us is a light for us in the dark places of the world. And so it is good for us to pay attention to that light, to, to see what it illuminates. What does it show us that's around us? Because one day the sun is going to rise, the day is going to break, and when the day breaks, we won't need that one light anymore because we will see things as they are, Paul tells us. And so between now and sunrise, we need a light. You and I need a light. Think about how many struggles and dark places we have in our lives. Maybe it's a relationship that we're struggling with. Maybe it's a question about our future or what to do. Maybe we have some serious medical conditions surrounding us. Maybe we're just tired and sad and alone. I think Peter is saying that in those dark places, we will do well to pay attention to the light. Problem is, it's kind of hard, right? It's kind of hard. And so I thought maybe today we might just talk really quick about three things that make it hard for us to pay attention. What are three things that might make it hard for us to, to know the confidence that we should have in the, the return and the worthiness and the presence of Jesus that, that's there for us to pay attention? What are some things that take our focus off of that and put it on something different? And there's many things that could go on list. I've just picked three for us this morning. Here's, here's one I think that is important for us to know, that I think that sometimes it's hard for us to pay attention because of hurry in our life, because of hurry. You know, hurry is different than busy. You can be busy, you can have a full day and not be hurried through it. You can also have a slow day, not a lot going on, and, and be hurrying from thing to thing. 
And I think hurry is something that keeps us from paying attention. Think about how if you're driving down Knoxville at 35, you see certain things, but if you're driving down Knoxville at 55, you don't see certain things. Right? It has to do with the speed that you're moving through, what's in front of you. As a matter of fact, I have a little um, example for us. So I'm going to put something up on the screen, and here's what I want you to do. It's going to be uh, three statements, and I want you to try and read those statements in your mind as fast as you can. You don't need to say them out loud, but I want you to read these three statements as fast as you can. Here we go. Let's put them up on the screen. So you probably read Paris in the spring, once in a lifetime, and bird in the hand. But the problem is, problem is that's not what it says. Right? It says Paris in the, the spring, once in a, a lifetime, and bird in the, the hand. And what researchers know is that the vast majority of us miss those repeated words. Did you miss them? Who wants to own it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? We miss it because of hurry. And I think the same thing can happen in our lives. The same thing that we did with this image can happen in the way that we go about our life. Oh, I've seen that, I know, I've gotta move on to the next thing. And we go from appointment and conversation and entertainment and requirement, and we go from thing to thing to thing. We drive here, we pick that up, we drop those people off, we go get on that call, we go to that meeting, we go to church, and it all runs together in a bunch of hurry. And none of those things are bad. None of them are wrong. But by hurrying from one thing to the next, we often, not all of us, I know some of you are very good at this, but often we fail to pay attention to what God might be saying to us. My guess is that many of us go to school or work like almost every day, and we don't really pause often to think, where is God at work in my job? We don't have enough space in our lives to be able to say, hey, I'm going to seriously consider, I need to stop and think about what God's word might say to how my family dynamic is shaping up right now. And and we know that those are good things to think about. We know those are great conversations to have. The problem is we also know that we have to get to the soccer game tonight. And, And hurry just didn't give us the margin to think about and to pay attention to God. And margin, you guys, you know what margin is. Margin is just the space between what you're actually doing and your limits. And so many of us live right at our limits. And because we're living right at our limits, we're not paying attention to God the way that we could. It's not all of us. Again, some of you are great at this. Some of you just want to encourage you. Keep paying attention, good job. You know, keep going to your Bible studies, keep reading the scripture but maybe you might be able to help people like me who need to have more margin, who need to be encouraged to slow down because hurry keeps us from paying attention. There's something else that might keep us from paying attention. It's this habituation. Some of you have walked in and out of this building more times than you can possibly count, so I want to ask you a question. Where are the four closest fire extinguishers to this room? You might be able to think of one or two, but are you struggling to get four? I would, and I'm here every day, right? You've walked past those fire extinguishers a million times. This is gonna bother some of you. I'm not gonna tell you where they are. You have to go on a scavenger hunt (laughs) after church, (laughs) right? 
And so habituation means we just become desensitized to a stimulus, something that we hear or see or experience. We've walked past those fire extinguishers many, so many times we don't even realize they're there. As a matter of fact, we're not even paying attention to them. My first apartment in Chicagoland was less than 50 yards from the Union Pacific West Line, which is three parallel train tracks that carry freight and people in and out of Chicago all day long. And so I lived right next to a crossing, right next to the train station. So the ding, 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 ding of the things coming down, the trains going by the honk honk because someone's standing there at the crossing, the announcements from the train station just over and over and over, day and night. And you know what happened? I just stopped hearing it. But, and praise God for that, <laughs> I just stopped hearing it. But people would come and visit me. And they would be like, how do you live like this? You know, like the floor is shaking. I'm like, yeah, the floor shakes, and you know, the trains go by. Here's the thing, you guys, that's habituation. And the problem with habituation is that for many of us in this room, the basics of who Jesus is and what he's done for us have become something we're just used to. Sometimes they don't land the way they have in the past. And sometimes we've become casual with the pronouncement of grace and mercy and love that comes from the voice of Jesus Christ and that is found in his word. We just become used to it. Look, I get it, it's probably hard, right? I mean, I can imagine that maybe sometimes you get tired of hearing us say over and over that at Northminster God calls us in up and out. Or you get tired of, of hearing us plead with you to, to pray and read your scriptures or be in a life group or do something that's designed. Like, I get it. I bet there's people in here that you're just, you're just kind of, you know, tired of those things. But God forbid that we ever be casual or habituated to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My guess is that many of us are in this room because we know that's exactly what we need to hear each week. That Jesus knows us and loves us and gave himself for us. But if we think, yeah, I've heard it all before, then we might miss what it means to actually pay attention to the God who not just once, but over and over and over again has set his love and mercy upon you that you would know him and be his forever. There's one other thing that might keep us from paying attention. And it's just the opposite of attention, it's distraction. It's just distraction. Distraction comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes distractions can be really big, important things like, oh no, how am I going to make the mortgage payment? Or um, I'm struggling in my marriage. Or my child is, is um, having a difficulty right now and how do I care for her? Or have I saved enough for retirement? What's gonna happen to my job? And, and what am I going to do in my career and my future? And those are big, important things that we need to think about. And then sometimes distractions are very tiny, right? Sometimes it's the 20 minutes you scroll on Facebook just to get irate and feel your, your blood pressure go up, right? Sometimes, sometimes distraction is just hitting play on the fifth episode of the show that you're binge watching. Sometimes distraction is just knowing that you'd rather lose, lose a half hour playing a video game or, or um, you know, reading a book than spending time with your family. I don't know, it could be all kinds of things. And here's what, here's what the thing is, you guys. None of those things I have said are bad or wrong things. None of them are bad or wrong. The problem is that when cumulatively they add up, and we haven't intentionally set aside time to pay attention to God. 
Again, I know there are saints in this room who are great at this, and you have so much to teach us about what it means to pay attention to the Lord in the midst of everyday life distractions. But for the rest of us, we may need a little encouragement. We may need a little kick to say, look, are you missing what God may be saying to you? Because you're so distracted and you're in such a hurry and you've become so used to it that it's lost its wonder and its power and its glory and its majesty for you. And that's more because we've changed. It's not because he's changed. I wish I, had a, I wish I had an easy life hack for this, right? I wish I could say, here's three things you can do, right? <laughs> here's three things you can do to pay better attention to God. I don't know what those things are. I, I really don't know what those things are. I do know that many of us, maybe not all of us, that many of us need to spend some time and really evaluate ourselves. Maybe have a conversation with our spouse, or maybe have a conversation with a good friend and evaluate, hey, like, how do I spend my time? And, and you may come up against that and say, hey, look, I think I'm doing all right. And that would be awesome. And some of you may come up to a place where you say, like, I really don't pay attention to God anymore. I go to church because I need to. I pick up my Bible when I think about it. But really, my life is dominated by my hurry and my schedule, rather than a real intimacy with Jesus Christ. And for you, I'd say the only trick is to think about it and pray about it and talk about it and work towards a change. Because here's the thing, you guys. There is a difference, there is a critical difference between knowing about God and paying attention to him. My guess is this room is full of people who know all about God. You've said the Apostles' Creed a million times. You can quote Bible verses. You know all the different 66 books of the Bible and you can do all of those things and you know a lot. But it could have been a long time since you've really paid attention to where he's working. And sometimes those places are, they're hard for us. They might require change from us. They might require us to like, I don't know, do things we don't like to do, like apologize or say no to something. And so, and so my encouragement to you is just ask yourself, do I really know about God or have I been paying attention to him? This was a critical issue for Peter. He really cares about it, did you notice? Right, like so Peter's whole message in this passage was you guys, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up, this really happened. Jesus is who we claim to be, so please, please pay attention to him because he is your light in this world. He's pleading for us not to be casual, not to be hurried, not to be distracted, but to really give our attention to the God of the universe who is waiting desperately for us to be with him. And I think Peter cares about it so much because he's made this mistake before. Remember who he was? He was always with Jesus. Right? He was always with him. He saw all the things. He saw the, the lake calmed. He saw demons cast out. He, even his own family members were healed by Jesus. He saw supernatural catches of fish. He saw the paralyzed walk. He saw thousands fed with a few baskets of food. He saw the blind receive their sight. He saw the sick healed. He even saw the dead raised. And then on one night in a garden, he saw Jesus. Jesus was described as sorrowful and troubled. Jesus said 
to the same three disciples. Peter, James, and John, he pulls them close to him while they're in this garden. The same three that were up on the mountain are now in the darkness in this, in this garden. And, and what had been bright light and shining majesty has now become a Christ who is afraid and sorrowful and, and is, is wrestling with what comes next. And here they are in the dark garden and Jesus just says, please watch and pray. Jesus says, please pay attention. And he walks further into the garden and Peter and James and John fall asleep. And Jesus comes back and he pleads with them, please pay attention. Pay attention, I know my clothes aren't shining right now. I know that Moses and Elijah don't appear to be here, but please pay attention. Watch, watch and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And the third time, Jesus comes back and he says, you guys, you, you know, you're my friends, please watch and pray. Pay attention. And Peter once again falls asleep. And you know what happens. You know that 24 hours from that moment, Jesus will be in a tomb and the stone will be rolled across from it. Jesus describes it as the time when darkness reigned. And Peter will deny Jesus that he even knows him. And he'll run away crying, wailing because he's denied Jesus Christ, the one he saw in all his glory, in all of his honor, all, everything, the very voice of God coming down. He said, no, I don't even know that guy. And so out of deep experience, out of, out of the same reason you and I don't want people to make the mistakes that we've made, Peter looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at us in the words of scripture that the Holy Spirit has given to us and he says, pay attention. Pay attention. So Jesus loves you. And he gave himself for you, that you would be with him forever. He has set his favor upon you. So let's listen to him. Let's pray. God, I do ask you on behalf of my uh, friends in this room that for those in this room who do pay attention, would you give them a richness of your presence? Would you give them a, a, a steadying of your word, a kindness of the Holy Spirit? Would they know you in the richness of being in your word and in prayer and with others? And for others in this room who may be just like me, who may just need a little kick in the shins and a reminder. We need space to listen for you, to pay attention. God, would you encourage us with your love and motivate us with your spirit that we might ruthlessly confront the things in our lives that keep us from confidence in you. God, if there are any in this room who do not know you as their Savior, who have not seen you revealed in your glory, have not allowed you to be the king of their lives, God, would you, her Holy Spirit, stir them up to ask questions, to look for you where you may be found. So we all look forward to that day when you will come and reign as king injustice and righteousness over a restored creation. 
God, would you give us such confidence in that, that we live our lives differently this week.